right. Well, so the pilgrims were a group of British separatists uh, who were struggling for religious freedom. They first left Britain uh, to try to flee from religious persecution in 1608, and they went to Holland. And they thought, hey, this may be a place where we can have religious freedom. And they actually did get some religious freedom, but the problem was they were subjected to extreme poverty and really some bad conditions. So they really were praying a lot, like, okay, well, what are we going to do next? And they ended up, God's providence, they end up, ended up finding a ship that would take them to the new world. Uh, this seemed like a, a great thing. But the problem is it didn't turn out so well at first. So they, they go ahead and they, they're able to set out, able to head to the new world. But between the trip, the journey there, which was a, a grueling uh, journey, nine weeks on the ocean, can't imagine that. But not only that, between that and then also a cruel New England winter as they landed at Plymouth, about half of them died. Actually, 14 of the 18 wives died. So many children were left without mothers. It was just a, a horrible uh, circumstance. So their, their hearts were just struggling to find out, okay, God, we, we want to serve you. We want to make much of you. We've, we've done all this to try to have some freedom, be able to worship you in the way that you've called us to do that. And they're really trying to figure out what's going on. And miraculously, we'll say, uh, providentially, a Native American named Squanto came to their rescue and helped them learn how to stalk deer and, and, and learn how to catch fish and, and grow corn and use fertilizer. And it was life-saving life for these pilgrims. But what is often missed is the giving of Squanto by God to the pilgrims as a miraculously providential gift of God. Because you see, Squanto is not your average Native American. And I don't know if any of you all heard this story in, in, in school. I'm not even sure they teach it in school anymore. But I remember maybe hearing a, a, a little blurb about Squanto. And I never really thought about the fact, like, how did they talk to Squanto, right? I mean, Native Americans had much different languages uh, than the English people had, right? Uh, so, so it was like, well, how, how did they converse? Well, this was different because he spoke English. And so this is really cool to see God's giving to the, the pilgrims as we think about Thanksgiving and God sovereignly ordaining this. You see, Squanto uh, was actually kidnapped by an English explorer named Thomas Hunt and taken to, the, to, taken to England and then taken to Spain and sold in to slavery. Squanto actually eventually escaped Spain and went back to England, learned English, uh, was, was ended up being actually working with a lot of different people, and eventually ended up talking his way into getting to go back to the New World. So this Native American uh, was able to traverse across the Atlantic twice, miraculously, uh, and no English. And he comes no year than 1619 is when he lands back in the New World with the pilgrims landing in 1620. God was sovereignly working. Even when all hope seemed lost for the pilgrims, God was sovereignly working behind the scenes to be giving to these people. William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth, called Squanto a special instrument sent of God for good beyond our expectations. And because of that bountiful harvest of 1621, that following year, uh, Bradford declared a new holiday, and better yet, holy day is what that means, to honor and remember what the Lord had done for them. So today we're going to be talking about giving. And as God's sovereignty would have it, his providence would have it, we're entering this final stretch in the book of Philippians. We're going to, we're going to finish this 15 weeks strong, and we're going, to, we're going to finish it right before Thanksgiving. And what a blessing that we get to see God talk about Thanksgiving right before Thanksgiving for us too. So join me as we read Philippians 4, 14 through 23. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning the gospel uh, of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you you sent me to you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your scripture. And thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that you uh, providentially uh, lay out your plans, God. Yes, man has responsibility, and, and we do have the ability to make good and bad decisions. But God, we thank you that, 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 that your overarching plan of salvation uh, goes even beyond that. Uh, that, that, that you, you hold everything in your hands, that, that as we look at your prophecies of the Old Testament, we watch them fulfilled through your life on earth, God, how not one of them went unfulfilled, that you are a God who keeps his promises, that you divinely work everything out to your glory, God. We praise you and thank you, and we pray that as we, as we get into the scripture today, uh, that you help us to understand your generosity, your heart for generosity, as we enter this Thanksgiving and Christmas season. May we understand generosity in an even bigger way, as we read your scripture, Lord. We love you. Amen. I'm just going to reread 14 through uh, 16 as we get into this first point. So you should give generously because God is working. You should give generously because God is working. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. So Paul could have en- ended this letter in Philippians 4.13. 4, Actually, it would have been a pretty good ending. You know, for me to, or, you know, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Christ who strengthens me. That was a pretty good drop the mic verse to end this. But he wants to make sure that the Philippians know that he really does appreciate the gift. There, there's just this personal side as Paul ends this last part here. It, it may have left, if he would have ended that, the Philippians may have said, hey, you know, so have we done okay? Have we not done okay? What's our, what, you know, what, what should we do? He, he wants to be clear that he appreciates this Philippian church and all that they've done, that they've been kind in his trouble. So he starts off verse 14 with this translation word, or transition word, yet. Some translations, nevertheless. And he wants to transition from Christ is enough. He is sufficient. We can do all things through him. But he also wants to let them know that Christ chooses to use human beings as his vessels of mercy as well. And so he said, hey, yes, Christ is enough, yet Christ used you, you know, in order to bring himself glory, in order to come to my aid. How amazing is that? And then, then we get to this, the, this Greek word kolos, which is kind. And it actually can be maybe even better translated well, like they've done well, or they've been, I mean, been kind. It is a, a decent translation, but they have done well throughout his affliction or trouble. Paul referred to his ministry as trouble or affliction because if you read Acts, uh, trouble and affliction seemed to follow him everywhere he went. So although it was worth it for him, he counted everything as loss apart from Christ 
they did share in his, they helped him in his trouble and affliction. Obviously, he is in prison at this point, so he's definitely experiencing that. And then in verse 15, we see kind of a, a, a flashback. Uh, he's looking back at the planting of this church 10 years ago. And, he, and whenever he left this church, he actually went and preached the gospel in Thessalonica. And what does this Macedonian church do? They give forward, right? So they have, they have received this wonderful gift of salvation, of hearing the gospel, and they pay it forward to the church of Thessalonica to say, hey, go and share this gospel with other people. We, we want to, to help you out. And he uses this word here that they entered into partnership. And uh, that word partnership is actually koinonia. Does, remember, does anybody here remember what koinonia means? Fellowship, right? So, so the fellowship, that's, that's, that's the Christian body of believers. So they entered into partnership. They ended, entered into fellowship with him. It wasn't just some business thing. It wasn't this far off thing. It was an intimate fellowship. We actually see that word in Acts 2.42 here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This was the kind of partnership they had with Paul. It, it, was, it was brothers and sisters in Christ. And now, how did they partner or fellowship? And in verse 15, we see through giving and receiving. So all of the churches that Paul went to, as we read the, read the book of Acts, we see him go to many different areas, many different churches, and they all received the same gift. And that gift was the gift of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But not all churches gave back to him. And so some churches, they, 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 they really participated in the receiving, and we saw many people come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and that is a wonderful thing. But very few shared in this giving and receiving. Uh, the church of Philippi were not just takers, they were givers as well. Paul was blessed by this church. And this matter of giving and receiving is actually in business terminology. Uh, right after he's kind of used the anti-business term of fellowship, partnership in that way, saying, hey, we're brothers and sisters, we're, we are close. Now he uses this business term of giving and receiving. And so why does he use that? What he wants, he, what he wants you to know is, hey, you saw my ministry as something worthy of investing into. And more than that, you saw the gospel as something worthy of investing in. And brothers and sisters, do we personally see God's work as worthy to invest in? When we look around us and we see all the ways we can spend the money, right? You know, there, there's so many different things vying for your attention, for your finances, houses, cars, advertisements, all these different gadgets, everything out there. Do we first, is our first response to how we manage our finances is it to advance the gospel? How can I leverage what God has given me to advance the gospel and make much of Christ? Or is it how can I advance myself? Or how can I advance my kids? Or how can I advance my parents? How can I advance these? Yes, we are to give generously to others, and we are to be generous. Uh, yes, God is a wonderful God, and he does give us good gifts, as we see in James, right? But what is our first heart? What is our first response with the money that God gives us? I pray that we can live in generous ways. So, brothers and sisters, we should always first give generously to the Lord and the advancement of the gospel because God is still certainly working there and so many are in need of hearing the message of salvation. Next we see you should give generously because God is worthy. So let's read 17 and 18 here. God is worthy there. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In verse 17, we see that 
that Paul reiterates that he is pleased with the gifts from the Philippians. Not because of the gifts themselves necessarily, but because of the heart behind them. You know, they, they, they were generous and they were giving and they wanted to see the advancement of the gospel. They weren't about making much of themselves. Uh, they, they didn't give to him and say, hey, make sure you put a bumper sticker on your back that says Philippian Church. You know, uh, they, they, they gave because they wanted to see God glorified. They wanted to see souls saved. So not only that, he's also encouraged of this future reward they will have in heaven. Uh, this word credit, we see credit and account, and we see that taught throughout the scriptures. There's a lot of references uh, each one of us, uh, believers or unbelievers, will stand and give an account before God, as we see in Romans uh, fourteen twelve here. So, so then each of us will give an account of himself before God. We will all give an account. And then we see also that our works and gifts, the things that we do, are going to be judged a lot more than just on the surface level. It's not that there's a checkbox, okay, you did this, you did that, you did that, you did that. But the heart behind them, the motivation, is just as important, if not more than important, than the gift itself. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Read along with me. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Well, first off, there's a, there's a lot of grace in this. It sounds like a really harsh scripture. But that last little excerpt there says, hey, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. So how, how wonderful is that? That, again, saving faith does work. Remember that. But, but just it's beautiful that there is grace even in this. But yet we must serve and give not for our own glory or gain, but for the glory of Christ. We must build on that foundation alone. The foundation in which you build on is so important. It must be on the foundation of Jesus Christ, on the advancement of the gospel and not the advancement of yourself. Those works that are self-exalting will be burnt up. You're actually wasting your time by giving for your own approval. By, by signing the check and then wanting your name on the brick, you've wasted your money. You've invested your money for the wrong thing. By publicly giving to a church or to even a mission agency, you have lost all reward in heaven by putting yourself up there and publicly giving it. Brothers and sisters, our, our job is to give secretly because we have our Father in heaven who is watching us, who sees what we do, Right? When we serve, we have people who come over and who do things around this church and help out and do things like that. And many of you never see what happens behind the scenes. That service is seen by the Lord. That is a beautiful, beautiful service to the Lord. Uh, you know, uh, many of us will be in public like I am, but you don't see me studying throughout the week. And I don't need to be telling you how many hours that I'm doing this, 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 and, and try to get your all's exaltation because I want a reward from my Heavenly Father. As much as I love you all, uh, what you all think of me is not what's going to matter when I stand in front of Jesus Christ. It's what He thinks of me. We all need to think that way. So I, I encourage e each one of you to spend some time thinking about the motivation for why you do what you do in each and every aspect of your life. Why do you raise your kids this way? Why do you come to church? Why do you want your kids to do this? Why do, you, why, why do you work at this job? Why do you do this? Everything. The question is why. 
Not necessarily what we do, but the why we do it is so much more important. You may have done some wonderful things, but is it to the glory of God? Or is it so that people think you're a good person? Is it to advance the gospel, or is it to advance yourself and your own ego? God knows all of our thoughts. He knows our minds and our hearts, and he will not be deceived. God gives you a, I pray that God gives you a heart for his glory, for he is worthy of all honor and praise. Verse 18 reminds us of Paul's contentment again. He has all he needs. He is well supplied, right? He's content in every circumstance, even though he's in prison. He's in a pretty bad circumstance at this point, yet he appreciates the gifts and service that he's gotten. And he refers to these gifts and service uh, as a fragrant offering and uh, acceptable sacrifice. And for us today, we may read that fragrant offering and be like, what, what, what are you saying there, Paul? Well, if you look at this uh, next, well, the, the next slide, you can go ahead and go there. We see the altar of incense, and that's in your handout there, the altar of incense. This is in Exodus 30, 1 through 10. I'm not going to read all of that at this time. But if you go to this next, the next slide here, we're going to see the di- a diagram of the Holy of Holies here. The Holy of Holies was the place where the great high priest could only go once a year to atone for the sins of the people. And you see the veil there. That veil was what was torn in two when Jesus Christ died because the veil between God and man was broken forever through the death, the sacrificial atoning, the death of Christ. And you see right in front of that veil there is the altar of incense. And this altar of incense was a special altar in which a certain mixture of frankincense and some other spices were, were, were burnt to the Lord. And the priests, after the order of Aaron, Aaron himself starting it, uh, were, were to do that. And this mixture of frankincense and these other spices were actually considered so holy that, that later in this chapter, in 34 and 38, if somebody burnt that to somebody else or something else, they were cut off from the people. You see that this fragrant offering symbolized prayer and the Old Covenant. It was a form of worship from the people of God to God himself. So Paul was telling the Philippian believers that their gifts were a form of worship to the Lord. God was pleased with this fragrant aroma of generosity, which was like that altar of incense, that great fragrance that was raising up to God. He saw their good works in the same light as he saw that back in the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, we glorify God by giving gifts to the Lord. Giving is such an important aspect of worship. Often, a lot of times we think that standing up here and singing and playing and, you know, raising our hands or whatever it is, 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 is worship. And that is an aspect of worship. But it is not the only aspect of worship. Adam and I have been going through a uh, book called Worship Matters by Bob Coughlin. A really, really good theological book on worship. And he mentions there are actually multiple Greek words for, for the word worship in the New Testament. And strangely, although you see this in the Old Testament, worship and music are together, strangely it is absent in the New Testament. Um, and that doesn't mean that worship sing isn't worship to God. It absolutely is. But, but, the, but the point of the New Testament is, hey, there's other ways to worship God other than by singing. Uh, number one, he says evangelism is worship. Right? So, so God is glorified and worshiped when you consider him worthy enough to get outside your comfort zone and share the gospel with your neighbor, your coworker, somebody in your family. Right, Thanksgiving is coming up. I guarantee all of us have at least one unbeliever in our family somewhere. Uh, share the gospel. Bring it up. You know, just in a conversation. Worship God through evangelism and telling other people about Jesus. Number two, uh, serving others is worship. 
God is worshiped through your hands and your feet that go and serve others in his name. Jesus taught time and time again that we are to be servants, right? God is glorified and worshiped through your service. And finally, he says that giving is worship. And I find it really uh, interesting. He quotes our scripture for today in this. And this was a chapter we just read in the last week. God, again, providentially putting that into place. So our giving to the Lord is extremely important. It is a form of worship, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. And he is pleased with this. He is glorified through our giving, and our God is worthy of our praise and worship. Finally, in our last point, we see that you should give generously because God is wonderful. God is wonderful. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I chose the word wonderful for this point because it means marvelous or extremely good. Our God is extremely good. And verse 19 lets us know how good our God is. He will supply every need that we have. Wow. Uh, every need of yours. God provides for his children. Paul wants the Philippians to know that God is wonderfully faithful. In 2 Corinthians nine sixteen, Paul said this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bounty, bountifully will also reap bountifully. The Philippian church had sown to, to sow bountifully. According to what they had, they scattered a lot of seed. They, they sowed what they could. And Paul wants to know that God's not going to leave them hanging. God will provide for them. He wants them to know that God has provided for him each and every step of the way. And so God will in turn also provide for them. He is a faithful God who provides. The blessings of God through our faithfulness to him is really difficult to preach in this day and time because of the sinful teaching of the prosperity gospel that God wants you to be rich and have everything that you want. He never wants you to be sick and, and you know everything is always going to be great for you this side of eternity. A lot of pastors shy away from preaching 2 Corinthians 9, 6 like we just said and Philippians 4, 19 because because of our desire not to go off the rails into those teachings, a lot of times we don't teach the full counsel of Scripture regarding his provision. And I want us to just take a couple of moments here to further understand what Paul is trying to say here. There are two major take-home take home points that I want us to see. The first is, number one, God is personal, God is faithful, and God is generous. He is personal, faithful, and generous. Looking back at Philippians 4.19, we see that, and my God will supply every need of yours according to what the riches his riches and glory in christ jesus so god is is a loving and gracious and generous god god reminds us here or paul reminds us that although these philippians were impoverished that their lord and savior had not forgotten about them and note that what, what paul says here he uses the possessive he is my god wow i mean how, how wonderful is that he says uh, and my God will supply. Brothers and sisters, is he your God? Do, do you refer to God as God, like this cosmic force in nature, that he's this high being that I have no relationship with, I don't understand, uh, the, I don't read the Bible, I don't, I, you know, he's this far off force, or is he your personal Savior? Is he your God? Is Jesus your Savior? And if not, I pray that you may take, make that wonderful decision today. 
He offers that type of relationship, the type of relationship where you can call him my Savior, my friend, my confidant, my counselor, my prince of peace, my mighty God. We just have to believe that he is who he has said he is, that he is the Son of God, God made flesh, who died some 2,000 years ago on that rugged tree, that cross, and took our punishment on the cross that we deserved, that rose from the dead three days later and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. He can become your God, your Savior, if you just put your faith and trust in Him. And when you understand that type of generosity, when you understand the generosity that Jesus Christ poured out on the cross for my sins and yours, wow, it's so much easier to be generous to others, to forgive others, when you realize the weight of what He took and He bore on that cross. He is a giving God. Repent, turn away from your sins, and turn toward him. I'd be happy to talk to you about that after the service if that has struck a chord and you realize I have not made him my God and my Savior. Number two, God owns everything. God owns everything and has no limit to his provisions. And speaking of this wonderful God, Paul states that he will supply every need according to what? His riches in Christ Jesus. And how can he claim this? How can he say, hey, Man, I mean, right? Because there's a lot of people in the world right now, a lot of people own a lot of stuff. You know, you have some people own more than others. And, and so, so how does God say he owns everything? Well, he says a pretty, pretty matter of fact in, in Psalm 50, 10, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. You see, God owns everything. He is sovereign. He is over all the rulers, the authorities, the governmental authorities. He is over them. He is over all. And he, has, he, he doesn't need your giving. He doesn't need your generosity because he can make happen whatever he happens. And frankly, he can take your money without you having any power over it because he is God. But it's a whole lot better that instead of him taking our money, that we give generously, that we give out of a love, right? There's so many people that I've seen who have ran from the Lord and they tried to hold on to everything and what happens a lot of times? They hit rock bottom, especially if they're a child of God and they're in a little bit of rebellion and they're like, they're, 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 they're kind of fighting through it a little bit. God will not let us continue to go without disciplining us, right? The book of Hebrews is very clear about that if we are his children. So we give because he commands us to. We give because by being generous, we can find contentment and peace with God. We give because he first gave to us, Right? He gave us life, he gave us breath, and he gave us his life on the cross, as we just talked about. We give because we love him, and we show him our love through obedience, as John 14, 15 says. This wonderful God will supply all of your needs, and we are to trust him and be generous even when it doesn't make any sense, even when it seems somewhat illogical. Even when we're like the Philippian church and we're like, hey, dude, I, I'm having trouble paying my own bills. How am I supposed to help the ministry of the gospel at this point? You know, I, I, I'm in this, I've done this, I've done that. Brothers and sisters, we are to sacrificially give to the Lord. There are going to be times in our life where it's easier to give, where, where maybe there's a little bit more excess, and it's like, okay, now out of my excess, I will give. But God calls us to be faithful all the time, not just some of the time. That increases our faith, and He will supply our needs. So what is our response to these two amazing aspects of God's provision and generosity. I pray that it is faithfulness and generous giving through obedience to Christ. 
I know many pastors who really shy from preaching giving because it makes them uncomfortable. Frankly, for me, maybe it's a little bit easier because I don't take a salary. So it's easier for me to look at you and say, hey, I don't want your money. I want to see your heart for God. And what we've seen over and over and over again, and what the Bible teaches over and over again, what Jesus preaches over and over again, is when you look at how somebody utilizes their finances, you see their heart. And so what, what we need to see is, hey, here's our, here's our finances. If somebody said, hey, let me see your checkbook, they could probably see where, you're, where you value certain things. Uh, wh- wh- where, 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 who has your allegiance? Is it the cable company? Is it Netflix? Is it God? Is it, is it gluttony? Is it, hey, man, I spent a lot of money in food, or I do this, or I do that, right? There's all kinds of ways we can kind of judge things, but we are an idolatrous nation, my, my friends, myself included. All of us in this nation, we are an idolatrous nation, and we worship money, possessions, homes, vehicles, we fall at the feet of the almighty dollar. You watch the stock market cr- crash and you will see many people in tears. You will see them crushed by the weight of their financial situation. But you see a group of people who are unbelievers and going to hell and you will not see that same view. When you see a rainbow parade going down the street and you see a group of people who are in direct opposition to God, you don't see God's people fall on their face and pray and say, oh, I'm so sad to see these people who are straying from the gospel. When you see a pro-life uh, rally, you're getting bombarded by another group of people who are not pro-life, right? Uh, who are pro-choice. And, and you see the hate spewing out. You don't see God's people a lot of times saying, ah, oh, you know, we need to pray for their hearts. But so, so what, what makes us more upset when we see people who are in direct opposition to God, who are lost and who are destined for an eternity of hell for all eternity in a real place? Or is it how our checkbook's doing. My friends, generous giving breaks the power that money and possessions have on us. It frees us. Warren Wearsby said, God has not promised to supply all our greeds. When the child of God is in the will of God, serving for the glory of God, then he will have every need met. Hudson Taylor often said, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's supply. And that is a convicting, what Hudson Taylor said there is a very convicting thing as a pastor. When God's work is done God's way, that means when God's work's not done Jonathan's way, when God's not done Lee's way or Jim's way or Kevin's way. No, when God's work is done God's way. And that's why you have to seek him in every situation. Do we stay here for an extended period of time? Do we consider building? Do we consider God promised he would provide for our needs in his plan and in his will? Same thing in our own families. Okay, well, that means if I just pick whatever house I want and I'll go get it. Well, no, we, we fall on our knees. We pray, God, is this the home you have for us? Can we afford this and still be generous to you? Can we afford that car and still be generous to you? Can we go on this trip and still be generous to you, right? When we do God's work in God's way for God's glory, it will never lack God's supply. Brothers and sisters, we are not to make decisions and then pray for band-aids to cover up our mistakes. That is not how God works. He's not our genie. He's not going to say, oh, well, God, and I have experienced this firsthand. Sometimes you make bad decisions, you have to unmake bad decisions. 
It requires us to step up. And I've prayed for that miraculous provision, and sometimes it's come through, but many times it's been like, hey, dude, you blew it, and you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin, and you need to give it up. Right? Man, there is no greater two-by-four than the Lord's Holy Spirit convicting you behind the woodshed. I've been there multiple times because I am a stubborn mule, and sometimes he's got to use it. Uh, It takes me a little while. So when we hold tight to the finances that God gives us, what does that tell God? It tells him we don't trust him to provide. When we hold on to it and say, ah, I don't want to give that. We're giving reluctantly. We say, hey, God, I don't think you're really going to come through. I know you said that you're going to supply everything I need, but I don't necessarily think you're going to. Uh, you know, so I, I'll give you this much, but I'm not giving you that much. I know you want me to give that much, but I'm not doing that. My friends, as we enter this Thanksgiving and Christmas season, I pray that our, our eyes are open to the world around us. Yes, we're going to see a lot of physical needs. We're going to see a lot of people who, who, who need food, who need clothing, who need a friend. There's going to be a lot of needs that we're going to see. But I pray that as much as we need to also help on those physical needs, we need to step in and fill that gap, that we also see the spiritual needs of those who struggle among us, that our hearts are broken by those who are hellbound right now, and that we use whatever resources that Christ has entrusted us to help advance the gospel. As one who always tries to remain true to expositional preaching, I cannot leave out the last few verses here. So I'm going to just touch on them really quickly. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul ends with his beautiful doxology in verse 20. All glory to God alone. And then he lists three verses where he kind of gives a greeting and goodbye. So notice how Paul leveraged all he had for the gospel. He was fully generous with his time, his money, his resources. And he'd been so bold that he mentions those of Caesar's household. So some of these may have been some very high-ranking officials who would come to a saving knowledge of Christ because he had the guts to speak up and share the gospel. How amazing is that? So we come to a close, maybe willing to hold all that we have loosely. Everything is owned by God, even our finances, our cars, our houses, and even our kids. It's all owned by God. He made, he made us all, our own bodies. And may we live like it and go forth today in faithfulness, following in what the Lord wants us to do. To end this message, I want to read a quote by C.S. Lewis. Because a lot of times we can, we can hear something on generosity and we can start to feel like we have something to give. We have something to bring uh, that we matter, and sometimes we just feel like we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just, okay, let's go do that. We can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to see that God does own everything. And so join me as I read this quote through Mere Christianity, or from Mere Christianity. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment, is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. So that when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, I will tell you what that is really like. It is like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. Of course, the father does, and he is pleased with the child's present. It is all very nice and proper, 
but only a foolish person would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. When a man has made these two discoveries, God can really get to work. It is after this that real life begins. The man is awake now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have nothing to bring to you that you don't have already. God, our lives are in your hands. They are owned by you. We as believers, we have been bought with a price even to go that far. You own everything. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is yours, God. But Lord, you desire us to worship you through our generosity and through our giving. And so you also desire to have our hearts bent on you and not ourselves or this world or the things of this world. So God, as we enter this Thanksgiving season, this Thanksgiving week coming up, God, may we die to all of the tangled web of things and stuff and the hole that finances and stuff has on us. May you deliver us from the power of that and help us to be generous to you, generous to those around us, God. Help us to to, to be gospel-centered and want to see you glorified more than anything else. Want to see others come to a saving knowledge of you so that you may be worshiped and glorified by more and more in eternity. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time together. And I pray that you be with our church. May we be a church who exudes generosity, whose allegiance is to you and not the world, not the things of this world, not to money, but may you be our Lord and Savior, our God. Lord, we repent of of anything that we have that is above you, any idolatry that we may share in in this church. Lord God, help us to, to always put you first before everything else. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen. Have a blessed week.